I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You are now listening to Footy Prime, the podcast, hosted by Danny DiCchio, Craig Forrest, and James Sharman. Yes, it is Footy Prime, the podcast once again, back in our cosy home of eggplant pictures and sound. Last week, of course, we were at BMO Field, post Canada's famous victory, and I had a great chat with Alex McKechnie and John Fitzgerald. Uh, please, if you haven't listened to that podcast, give it a whirl. It was a really good one, despite Danny and Craig and myself. Uh, the other two guys made it. <laughs> yeah, Alex was legendary. Top form. Top, top form, absolutely. Yeah. And we got to drink beer as well, which is Refreshing. I think they had a few more uh, before the game. Possibly. Or d- and during. Possibly, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Not quite sure. Because we're the professionals of the outfit, so we would never do that. Yeah. We're on coffee today, though, um, following another fascinating weekend of football, both domestically in North America, and we'll get to TFC later in today's show, but also, of course, from around the world of football. And, all right, Deech, you, you coached this weekend. You're in mm-hmm. uh, Atlanta. Craig, you watched lots of football this weekend. I watched lots of football this weekend. Um, what gets to me from, from watching this weekend is how form can vary so much in professional football. I don't quite get it. So, obviously, Man United tied Liverpool 1-1, right? Now, entering this one, on paper at least, there's no way this should have been a 1-1 draw. United were just dreadful all year. No character. Um, no fight. No, no tactical acumen from the gaffer. And, of course, the Reds, 8-0 in the season, rolling to a championship. The quadruple was going to be theirs, <laughs> no problem at all. Um, but they end up 1-1. Well, what's more frustrating, do you think? Is it, is it being a United fan knowing that that team has that performance, which, okay, well, it wasn't brilliant, but was pretty good in their, in their uh, toolbox, but you just never see it. Or is it more frustrating being a Liverpool fan knowing that every time it seems they play United, they shite the bed? It seems mm. that way, that they can play so much better. What's more frustrating? Well, I think when you're t- talking about uh, the situation where teams are playing against different different types of tactical nuances, uh, might appear as though the team is out of form from one week to the next too. But they might struggle against a side that puts you know blocks and sit deep. Danny and we've seen that against Man, you know, Man City. See Liverpool. I'd be fair to Man United. They sat back deep. 
you know, I mean, they're at home when they sat. They, they were looking at to, at to try to get a result and defend well and look for those opportunities and try and get those chances and score. But uh, overall, I thought the performance was good and only got it right and, and deserved to get a point. Um, you know, uh, Salah was missing as well. Um, that certainly seemed to look uh, definitely like a problem for them a little bit. Um, but... A little bit frustrating, but overall, I think it's a great start for Liverpool. Still, I mean, let's be let's be get it right. Still unbeaten, right? Yeah, it's a, not a bad result away. See, I, I disagree. I, 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 with all these kind of pundits saying what a great performance is by Man United, I, I don't think it was a great performance. Okay, they changed the system a little bit. They went to mm-hmm. uh, a back three, and you could see what they were trying to do. They were trying to sit a little bit deeper and hit Liverpool on the counter-attack. It was a limp performance from Liverpool, especially in the first half. They started to get some rhythm going in the second half late on with the inclusion of Lalana, who was a surprise goal scorer for them. But I just thought it was a dab affair. Like I, I, mm. I agree with like Roy Keane's comments afterwards. He said it, that wasn't a Man United-Liverpool derby to me. There was a lack of quality to the game. Yeah, there was a little bit more fight from Manchester United, but you expect that you play for Manchester United Football Club. Do you, huh? do you think the the, the modern day uh, game? And you look at the two. I'm looking. I, I'm expecting fireworks from the two sides, like you said. But with yeah, the modern game, especially it, with changed. What, especially it with what, what's that. up for grabs as well, Craig. Like Man United have been performing terribly this year. Okay, we all know their their gripes, and uh, uh, what I didn't like was the media circus surrounding the game in wanting Ole to to fail. It was like it was his last stand. But what I would say, like, come on, it's a Man United-Liverpool derby. I mean, you played in Ipswich-Norwich derbies, Craig. Mm-hmm. They were fierce. I played in Millwall-West Ham derbies, QPR-Chelsea derbies, Sunderland-Newcastle derbies. If you can't get up for them games, then you've got to have a look at yourself in the mirror and say, OK, Mm. These are the big, big games we we, we look forward to. But the, the the big question, as you said, Shams, is: Are you upset with Man United's sorry Man United's lack of performance over the start of the season or Liverpool's limp performance? The big question, or the big probably word that most managers really, really fail to deal with, is consistency. We're all looking for consistency. In everyday life, we're looking for consistency. But you look at Man City last year, the consistency of their performances week in, week out, even though they were in Europe, was of high level. Now, Pep's starting to struggle a little bit with his team this year. Is that because of certain players that are missing within the squad or certain players that have moved on or certain players getting a little bit older now? Mm -hmm. Because it's an ageing squad now, Man City. But... Consistency is a big, big thing in football, Shams. And, and if you can get that right, which Liverpool did to a degree last year, but they just fell short a little bit for the league, can they go on this year? We, they, everyone's expecting them to be the new Invincibles this year, Craig. I'm not sure. Mm. Do you think they can go a whole year without losing? I, I don't Do think you see they the, can. Uh, the, 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 in the sign in the stands, a uh, Reds fan had unbearable... Things, all the trophies unbearable because it's yeah. so stressful watching them trying to you know, get these trophies. Yeah. And it's a good point. Yeah. But this was also post-international break, right? When, when you played, was it a bit of a gong show, that, that first game back, the first week back, when all these players are arriving from around the world? It could be, yeah. yeah. It, it, it's difficult. It's a tough one for the managers, too, to get everybody back on, on the same page and focus because the travel is, uh, can be horrendous and uh, definitely plays a part. I mean, we see the MLS sides in, in North America just traveling, you know, a three-hour time change back and forth. 
uh, NBA, we're talking, Alex McKechnie was talking a lot about uh, the travel and sleep uh, patterns and uh, things like that. So time zones, time zones are, are a big factor. And if you're looking at a time zone of you know five to six hours, uh, seven hour time change, uh, you're gonna you're not going to be able to perform uh, at your highest peak for sure. So you mentioned, you know, how the rivalries aren't perhaps what they, they used to be. And Roy Keane again was at it yesterday and he made a good point. And I've always thought this, although it's, I think it's naive and a bit ignorant, how pre-match in the tunnel you saw the players hugging and shaking hands and stuff, right? And he goes, that's inexcusable. You know, when, when he was captaining United, you wouldn't see his, his teammates, you know, hugging and shaking hands with, with <laughs> Liverpool players. No, but, you well, he was, lining, but he was reality, lining up with Vieira in the tunnel even before the game started. Oh, yeah. But the reality okay. today, though, is with modern players, you know, you have you might have the same sponsors and do, you know, off-season, you're, you're hanging out together, you might be playing internationally together. That That hatred, it just isn't there between teams, is it? No, no, it isn't. Not at the same level. We've talked about that even with uh, some of the other derbies, uh, even West Ham when they're playing Spurs and things like this. It's not, you know, you've got internationals from all around the world and they, 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 you learn what's going on in the club and, and obviously your rivalries and things like this. But you're right. You're friends with the left back. You know, you you play internationally, or you play against you know each other on a regular basis internationally, or with each other. So it is different. Uh, but you're still competing. Like you remember what it's like in small-sided games. Even though we might have played for the same team, Craig, on a Friday or a Thursday, the competitive side of wanting to beat my teammate who I'm going out with on a Saturday yeah. to play a, a game against an opponent, but to beat him on a Thursday or Friday was part of the banter and the, the competitive side that was kind of bred within that, that team. And that's what mm-hmm. kind of sends teams on to be successful. One of my pet hates, going back to like the hugs and kisses before game starting, was at half-time seeing players swapping jerseys or going up to players asking for the... I fucking hate that. Yeah. I, I hate it. Yeah, It, it really that, That's disrespectful, I think, to the fans. To the fans, it? but also, like, okay, even if you are uh, an admirer of that player or you, you grew up together somewhere... There's a time and place to do that. Do it off, after, off, off of the yeah. field, after the game, Nobody or in, in the changing room. Don't do that in front of everyone, in front of the cameras, in front of the, the, the punters and the supporters. They're expecting you to go tooth and, and, and now with this player to fight for the three points or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's another pet hate of mine. I'll just get it off my chest, sorry. No, I, I agree with you. That. That's, that's always driven me crazy as well. And even even though it's naive you know, to, to believe that these players are really enemies because they're not for the, what we just discussed, before a match, at least optically, when the cameras are rolling, just do it for the fans. Don't don't make a big show of oh, there's my mate I was playing with him last week in Brazil. Like, and I know they didn't grow up following these rivalries. Most of these players, there's so few English players in these teams. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, they should be cognizant of the fact that we should at least put on a bit of a show here. Yeah. I'm not talking about two feet over the ball and throwing elbows, although that's kind of great <laughs> in certain games, right? Especially this one over the years, but. Play hard, you know. Don't yeah. look, look up, upset when you've lost. Yeah, I remember when I. I mean, obviously, I was naive when I went over there as a sixteen-year-old to the UK. But when I was on trial at Ipswich, I remember they were playing in the Milk Cup, the League Cup. Yeah, it was called the Milk Cup. When it was important. When it was big, it was a big <laughs> deal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, some of the players uh, from Ipswich went on train. It was they're playing against Norwich. So that was my first taste of seeing a, a rivalry uh, like that. And. Uh, as a player, you right away I understood standing on the terrace, taking fifty pieces coming flying at you. People were getting cuts, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh boy!" So when I ended up playing against Norwich, obviously I understood what it was like to stand on the terrace and and uh, what it meant to the fans. I Did mean, you ever play against Norwich with 
Jimmy Brennan playing for Norwich? No, I no. did. You did, yeah, but not for it. But that's before you knew. <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> that's before you knew Jimmy, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's too bad. Did you elbow? Yeah. Going to say any stories? Of course, yeah. <laughs> of course. Did you bite his ear? No. Actually, well, did, you Jimmy tried, done you, me pretty bad. You tried to bite a guy's ear in, in for Toronto FC. Yeah, no, I did not. You got red card for it. No, you got red card for eating someone. I did not bite anyone's ears. You ate, wasn't his ear. Yeah. It was, his, uh, <laughs> was it his nose? I was just a little bit peckish that day. <laughs> <laughs> Features cannibalism. Yeah, yeah. The new Suarez. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Have a little nibble, but was there was there a player like when you played? Was there a certain player in a certain team you just you just hated, and you wanted to get a little bit on him whenever you got a chance? Was there one player? I'm sure Dish has a few, but yeah. start with you, Craig. Well, as I mean, goalkeepers, a bit different, right? A little but, bit different, yeah. I mean, there's certain players like we talk about Roy Keane. I mean, we, he comes straight to the top of my head again, like with you know, knowing that if it's a fifty-fifty, you're going to have to be prepared. Yeah, yeah, really. So he, I mean, there's the, the odd guy that you know that players didn't like got under your skin a little yeah. bit no, like there's you a, there's loads of players I didn't particularly yeah. like yeah, you. yeah that's that's He's, a good point okay let's talk about I you you, you remember playing against Danny yeah yeah really yeah. so what was, well, was the pre-game was his name brought up in the pre-game meeting did he was a big lump, <laughs> big lump. <laughs> yeah that's what I mean exactly exactly were you telling watch out for yeah. that arsehole he's, yeah. he's good at one thing <laughs> he's not going to beat you with pace the figures as well back, back in like the early 90s goalkeepers were not protected at all shams so for a big striker big center forward it was free it game was, it was free yeah. game but it was also yeah. pretty nice because most strikers don't like goalkeepers anyway they're, right. they're our enemy they're stopping yeah. us but it's not as if they're small little successful. diminutive yeah. figures either no, but it was boys. even better if they were bigger because you had kind of more body to go and hit on the back of them or and they the wouldn't side ribs foul. everything not yeah. if they were challenging you could put a keeper in the back of the net with a ball in late 80s, early 90s. That would be classed as a goal. So, so the game yeah. plan for Craig playing against uh, a West Brom or a Sunderland against Dickio was, watch out for the big glue up front. He's going to well, throw some what? elbows. To be fair, everybody had one. Yeah. yeah. Right? They everybody yeah. had a Danny Dickio. Right. Okay, Deech, what's the game plan? What's game Most plan? goalkeepers as well, back in those days, would not catch a ball. It was kind of told to them, look... If you're being challenged from a corner kick or a free kick, don't even think about catching the ball because you're going to be challenged. Punch through it. So yeah. unless your defenders are protecting the goalkeeper, which was a tactic as well, and your goalkeeper's mm. going up with his whole body kind of open and not protected, you're basically told to either punch it or mm. get get rid of it. And if you get a bit of the uh, striker in the meantime, then so be it. Yeah. yeah. Right. What was yeah. the game plan facing Craig Forrest? Do you remember? Just to try and score. Just hit the target. There's no like, desperate <laughs> weakness, is what I'm saying. No, no. There, there were certain kind of games where we knew goalkeepers were either not comfortable with their feet or I would have like my coach yeah, tell me. to come for crosses. Yeah, or, or their, their weak side was diving to their left. They were more prominent in diving to their right. So we knew certain aspects of trying to hurt a goalkeeper in that sense. But there was no real game plan to say, we have to target this goalkeeper right. in this way. Nobody was like, nobody was that weak. Yeah, I'm gonna say you're playing, you know, level, right? prem or, or championship level football. You're pretty good. Yeah, no I mean, what. if it's a youngster coming in, he's playing his debut. Yeah, pepper, pepper him. Yeah, like put put the ball yeah. on top of him and see what he's got. Test him. Daniel leave an elbow on him. You yeah, know, guys like yeah. Vinny Jones leave an elbow on you. Yeah, you know, like <laughs> playing the crazy game Wimbledon. That was a that was an experience, or even yeah. Cambridge. In the uh, John Beck second, case, yeah. right, and John Beck was a ex Spurs, bit of a player, yeah. but then just was direct. 
anybody that did more than two touches on the pitch was off, basically. <laughs> right. So it was touch, flip it over the back, just keep turning Good old fashioned over football. and over, long throw-ins as the goalkeepers were picked. Um, See Wally Downs. Friday. Wally Downs yeah. uh, left uh, Wimbledon this this weekend. I remember. Oh, I yeah. remember as a youngster playing against the crazy gang at, at Wimbledon. Uh, sorry, no, it was at Loftus Road, and I just broke into the first team, and they had, they had everyone there: Fashionu, Jones, Sanchez, Sanchez, Wise. Dennis like Wise. they had the full full cut it. And in the yeah. tunnel, in the tunnel before the game was probably one of the most liveliest tunnels I've ever been in. And they were trying to intimidate. So they weren't hugging people. and shaking hands. No, no, no. They they were properly <laughs> they on your in, intimidating in the like, tunnel. Yeah, in especially the tunnel. to all the younger guys. Yeah. Who was the most intimidating? Was it Vinnie Jones? You could take your pick. Yeah, like they. Had, I mean, he was a thug. Whereas the fashioners, the wisest, they they, well. they played with an edge, but they were good players. Yeah, he had some an ability too. Yeah, but Wise had an edge to him. Sanchez had an edge to him. Everybody. It was pretty funny as well because Besant. just as I I'm I'm. In the process of leaving QPR, my contract's coming up and the QPR chairman's come in to me and he said, look, we're, we're going to sell you regardless because your contract's up at the end of the year. So I said, okay, but I'm going to make the decision where I go. So they said, we've agreed a fee with Sunderland and Wimbledon. Is it during the crazy gang era? During the crazy gang era. So, okay, you've got to go for talks with Wimbledon. I said, okay, so I'll, I'll go, I'll be professional and talk to... Um, Joe Kinnear was the co- the head coach at the time, and um, Mad Sam was the chairman. Mm-hmm. So I've gone over to to his house. He lived near London Zoo as well. Nicely lives right near the zoo. Wimbledon owner Sam Haman, I think his name. Yeah, is. Sam Haman. Yeah. So I've turned up with my agent, and I've gone into the house, big big house near London Zoo, uh, Swiss Cottage Way, beautiful house. I've turned up, and and Joe and him are in in the living room, and they've got like loud. EDM dance music plan. So I've gone in, I've gone, fucking, what's going on here? You liked a bit of that, didn't you? Yeah, so they've got <laughs> come in, sat down on these big, DJ like, plush D. Persian rugs everywhere, so, so far. I've gone, hi, Sam. And he's gone, hi. He said, do you like the music? I've gone, yeah, it's not too bad. It's not really my taste. I'm more into, like, my UK garage and a little bit vocal. <laughs> he's gone, we've put that on especially for you. I've got these speakers made for you. He's gone, you are going to be a big player for us. So I've gone, okay. And he's starting to make me feel good, as, as you usually do as an owner. And then Joe starts being about the tactics. And the, then the chairman said, the big reason we, we really want you to sign is because we know you're a, a big DJ on the circuit and we think you'd be unbelievable for our dressing room. <laughs> That's why they wouldn't have signed you. <laughs> so I've gone, hold on a minute. You're not signing me for my footballing DJ uh, Danny. talent. That's what it is. You're signing me for the dressing room yeah. to get the dressing room pumped were up before the game. Were you offended by that? Or were you like, actually, <laughs> I was like, that'd be all right. It's a new way of trying to put, put uh, move forwards, but I had to... Um, that's hilarious that's a decline in a nice way and say was, was that why you declined or I mean no I'd already made my mind up yeah. to, go, to go when, to when Italy Hartson went there I don't know if Johnny was there or not I really don't I, I can't it was around 97 90 so towards the uh, end of the crazy gang you right yeah they were just trying to kind of move forward transition into a new crazy gang and they wanted me to be the DJ you of were the, the new fashion crazy gang <laughs> you would have been perfect. Perfect, perfect profile. It's amazing some of the some yeah. of the, the angles these these clubs use to try and recruit players, right? It's not always about the football, is it? It's like, yeah. what else can we give you here? Any yeah. stories, Craig? No, um, mm, <laughs> really. none that you can say. Actually, <laughs> no, yeah, <I> <laughs> Big Harry didn't set you up with anything at West Ham. Entice you with anything, Craig? 
No. No brown envelopes, very? No. No? Nada. <laughs> Not they can say anyway without facing uh, <laughs> libel or something. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm trying to think. but uh, I remember there was once upon a time a TFC manager who would offer crates and crates of champagne. <laughs> yes. And if you come, come here, we'll also give you this. Or so, cha- so the rumor has it. Free champagne around the city as well. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. No, mine was all above board. <laughs> On to the next sure one. <laughs> That's great. DJ Danny, maybe you should cut some tracks for uh, our theme song. Right? Maybe. I well, like a lot of the specials as yeah, well, which exactly. we like. Well, enough about Danny Dicchio's DJ years and how he was romanced by some of the uh, the shadier characters. Sorry, the most colorful characters exactly. in Premier League history. Uh, I did mention TFC mm. there and the glory days. <laughs> It wasn't the glory days at all. The glory days came came far, far later. And we might be about to uh, embark on another glorious run in the playoffs. Uh, quite the it match. It wasn't far, far later. Well, in the concept of, of TFC, it was. They're short. They're, they're, they're a young club. Yes, they were. Right? And they're crap for a long time. And yeah, now they're pretty they good were. again. I covered them. I mean, we were doing <laughs> the first five years. I think we had... Me and Jerry Dobson had five wins in the first 55 oh, games we covered. Brutal. 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 And now all these glory hunters come aboard late in the campaigns, guys like Joshua Cloak from The <laughs> Athletic, you know, and they're just, you know, reaping the rewards of, of this this improved TFC. Mm. Joshua Cloak writes for The Athletic. He, he wrote a great book, uh, The History of TFC. He knows all about it. Come on your heads. Um, Josh, welcome to Footy Prime, our first ever interview over Skype. So what could possibly go wrong? You know, maybe I could be perceived as a good luck charm. You know, maybe not in a glory hunter, a good luck charm. That's a nice way of putting it, yeah. we, Yeah, I'm a bit of an optimist, but uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Not at all. No, you know what? That, that sounds much better. You're, you're yeah. a good luck charm. Um, it was quite the game, though, on the weekend. Uh, they, they almost threw it away. 1-1, off to extra time, and they just smash DC United. It, it does seem, Josh, that the momentum's really building with this team, albeit somewhat late in that match. Yeah, but I mean, they've been building momentum throughout the end of the regular season as well. I mean, their spring and early summer, when they lost players to the Gold Cup, when they didn't get the players um, that Greg Vanny wanted through that first transfer window, it was pretty ugly. And, and you know, there was a lot of talk in and around the club about uh, the safety of Greg Vanny's job and, and who would be left if, if TFC missed the playoffs again. But they've turned it around with let's not call them glamorous performances, but they're, they're getting the job done. And I think if you ask, you know, some of the coaches, that's kind of, that's what they're after. They're after just, you know, playing any style of game and, and handling, you know, whatever the game gives them. So it's, it's not necessarily going to look pretty all the time, but um, I, I, I don't think it has to be at this time of the year, right? No. Hey, Josh, uh, you know what? Another thing is that uh, momentum in this the structure of Major League Soccer so different than European soccer that uh, momentum's everything going into the playoffs. And uh, we've seen that with Toronto C. We've seen it many times over the history of Major League Soccer. It is, is what it is, and that's uh, what seems to be Toronto SC's idea now, is going into it with great momentum and, and really uh, played a terrific game, especially that extra time. I thought that was one of the best first halves of extra time I've ever seen, and the finishing was top-notch. It was, and you kind of, you know, when TFC allow that goal with, I think, two minutes left, mm. you kind of, you, you cringe and you think to yourself, they never make it easy on themselves, and they, they, they almost never have, and you just think, is, is that the kind of thing that could swing the momentum back DC's way? So, 
there's there's still a lot of doubt and uncertainty about this club. I I mean, I think they can go on a run, but I, I, I think it would surprise a lot of people. So for them to kind of come back and stomp down D.C. the way they did uh, and really not allow D.C. to build any momentum at all going into that extra frame, I think it was a good sign to see. Um, you know, there's still three games left, but uh, it, it's... It's a sign of encouragement from a team that, that really hasn't had a lot this season, right? Joy, what do you think about the new format, the one-off games? Uh, i I got to say that uh, we quite like it. Um, it brings teams into it right away. They, if you're playing, like DC has to go for it in these matches, the two-legged one, uh, matches I find uh, were, weren't quite as exciting. So I think they might have got it right with this format. What do you think? So I go back to, to 2017 um, when TFC is on the road against Columbus for that first game um, of, of the conference finals, and they're without Seba and they're without Josie. And it was one of the most excruciatingly painful nil-nil draws I've ever watched. And I'm there in Columbus just banging my head against the desk thinking, this is awful. This is awful from an entertainment perspective because neither team is going for it. TFC literally just want to keep the game boring. And with this new format, there's not going to be any of that. I mean, mm. maybe, maybe that last game between L.A. and Minnesota didn't have the entertainment value that the other games did. But every single game was so high on drama because teams realized we can't just sit back. You know, we can't just kind of pick and, and prod and we can't wait for the second leg to really turn it on. We have to go for it now. Mm. Um, and anything that also provides a bit of value to the regular season, which some would argue is probably too long. I mean, look, TFC had their one home game, and that's it. They're not going to have any more home games, you know, even if they play the the final three games of the playoffs. So I, I, I love it. I really do. And I think um, the other thing that's good about it is you do it all before the next international break, which to me was, was super important because that two-week break leading into MLS Cup, that just drained all the momentum out of – the playoffs and the storylines. So, yeah, I, I'm a fan too. Josh, just speaking um, about the character shown the other night, and I think it's a, a good sign for the team. I think they're about 10 or 11 unbeaten now going into the playoffs. Yeah. Is that right? Um, speaking about the players that have come in this year, and we saw some really good performances um, the other night as well, but Q st- stood on his head again, made some big saves uh, in the second half. Richie come into the game and, and, and scored. Uh, his first goal for the club, uh, De Leon scored against his ex-club as well. Who, who's been your standout new player this year? I mean, we're missing Omar Gonzalez as well, who's been a, a, a big presence for us back there. But who's been your standout player for us this year, one of the new signings? Well, you kind of mentioned some of them, but to me, the, the guys that stand out are these Greg Vanny projects, right? You look at a guy like Richie Larea, who came in for league minimum, really impressive. I mean, he's playing for a contract. He's playing for his future. Nick DeLeon obviously didn't have a future with uh, DC, so he comes in, and and he obviously has a connection with Greg Vanny as well. Um, I don't think a lot of people would have predicted Westberg to, to, to play the way he did. I think you come in, and maybe he's looked at as the backup to Bono, obviously that's changed. But for me, it's it's got to be Nick DeLeon, just in that he's he's an MLS veteran. He's a player that knows, you know, how to win and, and how long the season has been. And when TFC were losing players to the Gold Cup, 
Nick DeLeon was putting in consistent, not glamorous, but consistent performances. Um, he was kind of the fill-in spot there while TFC were waiting to see who would be those those wide players. And you look at him coming in off the bench against D.C., just scores a cracker of a goal, yeah. right? And this is the kind of, like, that's the mentality that you need. Not, you know, if I'm not playing, I'm upset. Nick DeLeon accepts what his role is. His role is is to provide, you know, insight and talent, maybe off the bench, but because he's an MLS player that's been there before. And that's what they were kind of lacking in 2018, right? They were lacking players, or a lot of the new signings that came in didn't really understand MLS, didn't have that MLS experience. They didn't understand what a long and, grinding season it is so for me having Nick DeLeon a very quiet presence around the room too right he's that quiet calming guy that I think goes a long way as you guys know in in a dressing room that that kind of presence that doesn't need to say much but when you look over at him he's not getting panicked yeah uh, he's been here before so he's that's a reliable I mean, guy as well and, yeah, and Greg yeah really, really Laria, preaches on that like reliable yeah. guys that he can call upon as you said that that, that won't sulk if they're not starting but know that they're they're a big impact if they're coming off the bench or, or, or starting, but a reliable guy that other players can, can look up to or, or lean on for for some experience that have been in the league for a long, long time. So, yeah, it's a good good one. I would say Q's up there as well because uh, Greg really, really preaches on having a goalkeeper that is comfortable with his feet. We're a possession-based team and you need someone like that. He's not the biggest of profiles, but he's a very good shot stopper. And he came out three or four big saves the other night and he's, he's been on like that for the last month or so now and he's very, very good with his distribution with his feet as well. Yeah, I've been really I, impressed. Yeah, I noticed something during that last game. Sometime around halftime, uh, Laurent Simon ran over to, to Osorio and was in his ear. He was kind of giving him the business and a few of us in the press box said, oh, that's kind of interesting Laurent Simon of of all people kind of telling Jonathan Osorio what's up but then you could see afterwards Laurent runs back to to Q and kind of says yes I gave him the message uh-huh. and Oso and uh, Q kind of share a thumbs up so it's not even so much that that he's providing that shot stopping when he needs he can see sees the pitch really well he's able to distribute the ball really well and you know he is a bit like a quarterback in a way so it was interesting to see that kind of communication and you know, to, to be a player that jumps into a team with no real, you know, experience with the club and, and feel comfortable enough to kind of start directing traffic, that's a bonus too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, obviously it was a huge win and we're seeing, as you mentioned there, um, Josh, you know, Greg Vandy's projects really becoming integral members of, of this team. Had they have lost to DC, would you have foreseen a, a big change this offseason at TFC? Is this... Um, I don't want to say prolong Greg Vanny's tenure at the club. I mean, he's got a championship. He's doing really well. But there was talk about him maybe moving to a different role next year as well. Do you think this um, confirms more of the same next season? You know what? I, I think all season uh, TFC management has looked at this season as one of transition and moving away from the club that they were in 2017, a club built on veterans, right, to, towards a, a younger kind of club. And I don't know if that win kind of buys Greg Vanny an extra year. I mean, even if they lose against New York City, I mean, do you consider this season a success? I don't know. Um, there's still so much talent on this roster to to expect that they should go pretty far, right? I, I think that next year's club will look very different. I think you're seeing a lot of veterans from that 2017 side, you know, the Justin Moros, the Chris Mavingas, the Drew Moores, where you're starting to say it like, how, how much longer can they keep 
rolling these guys out. They've all been very serviceable, but I don't think this club is set on just having serviceable players, right? They want to be among the highest spending teams in the league, but they want value for those dollars that they spend, right? So I, I, I think we're going to see a very different team win or lose uh, next season because 2017 was a lot of fun and it was a historical year for the club. But, you know, you, you see this league getting younger and you see that, you know, you also need to, if you're going to be sustainable, you have to sell your players on, right? They did that with Javinko, But I, I, I do think you want to bring in more younger guys so that you can create that kind of sustainable success, right? Does, does that include... Michael Bradley next season? That's a big uh, question, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the, the question that's kind of on everybody's mind. And, you know, Bradley has refused to speak about his contract all season. Um, heading into this game, he kind of told a group of reporters that he doesn't expect that game against T, uh, against DC to be his last. And then had a chance to sit down with Michael Bradley for about half an hour. And I asked him the question that I think a lot of people were wondering, would you take a TAM deal? moving forward mm-hmm. would you take something other than the dp deal moving forward and he was very clear he said absolutely so that was the first time he's kind of expressed you know not only just interest in staying at the club but signing on for a non-dp deal because if you look at everything that michael bradley has done for this club i mean it's kind of a vague term but he's changed the culture of this club and that's an incredible thing but to create sustainable success. You can't reward players with contracts for what they've done. You have to pay them for the player they're going to be. Is Michael Bradley, you know, a $6 million player? I don't know. A lot of people would argue not. Um, Has he done enough at this club to justify another contract and to justify kind of having a chance to work with this new injection of young players? Absolutely. You know, no player has kind of... No player on TFC's current roster could offer what Michael Bradley would. So for him to say, yes, he's open to a TAM deal, that changes the landscape moving forward. And I mean, this that, that, that means that, you know, they could open up a DP spot and bring in someone younger. So I foresee Michael Bradley staying with the club, but now it's on Ali Curtis to determine what kind of ticket could you get him at and, and, and you know, is he who you want with this club moving forward, right? So a little bit of clarity, but still not 100%. Yeah, great point. I mean, if you can get Bradley, who can still play on a TAM deal, to me, it's just uh, it's a gimme. That's it's a common win-win. sense. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, Joshua, thanks so much, mate. Really appreciate this. Um, get back to the Leafs. I know right now you're at their practice rink getting set for, for Columbus tonight, right? I'm a bit jealous of you. I'm a bit <laughs> of a diehard Leaf fan myself. Uh, who, who are you talking to today? Well, I mean, whoever they give us, it's a little, <laughs> it's a, it's a little different. It's not TFC, uh, right? Know, yeah, it's, you, you can't just ask for uh, you know any player you want and get a sit down all the time. But uh, look, if you want me to get a word in with someone, I, I'm I'm happy to to be your your point man here, Charms. I'll tell you what, mate. Um, you, you just do your research, find out who likes football in that room, and then we'll. Uh, Make the phone calls. We use Dickio's fame with MLSE. To, to, Dickio's, to... Dickio's fame would take you far beyond the least. You've got to think bigger with that thing. Now, listen, I love reading your stuff on The Athletic, be it TFC or Leafs. So thanks so much, mate. We'll chat to you soon. Good stuff, Josh. Yep. Thank you. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, boys. That is Joshua Cloak. Um, really good points. And Michael Bradley, listen, you know, whether he's going to re-sign or not, we'll find out in, in the coming weeks and months about that. Um, but... I think Josh nailed it. When he arrived at TFC, it changed everything. It gave this team an identity which had been lacking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's a simple player in many ways, but he does the simple things really well. 
and he has been the face of that team since he arrived uh, Mm -hmm. with respect to Sebastian Jovinko. You know, I'm sure Danny can speak with this, but a lot of the youngsters uh, that are developing through the system, um, he's a great, uh, if you want to play in that sort of role, he's a great role model to look at as far as how to play that position as well and how to lead on and off the field. He's been terrific for Toronto SC. There's no question about that. One of the best players that they've ever had here. Um, but there's other been players too. I mean, with the Giovinco, Altador, Bradley situation, that signing was... Uh, was excellent. I mean, they paid top dollar for them, maybe overpaid for their, so some of them for their services, what they are, but it uh, it was a changing factor, I think, too, at the club. And uh, and Vandy's done a terrific Remember job. Remember that so. day when they, they signed Bradley and he was kind of in the shadows of the Defoe signing, right? A bloody That's big right. deal, right? That's and right. it turns out um, there was only one winner that day, mm-hmm. and it was Michael Bradley. Yeah, that was disappointing. I, mean, I, played, with, I played with Jermaine over in, uh, for West Ham, and when he came over here, I thought he'd been a perfect fit, perfect side, uh, uh, part of his career to come over. Getting a little bit older, but still had lots to offer, will score at this level. And uh, unfortunately, I think off the field, he wasn't as happy as he was. The big difference between those two is that Jermaine came over and we expected a lot and we were looking for a lot for him, but he didn't really commit to the club. Michael Bradley committed to the club. He really committed to the club and Josh mentioned it there. He changed the culture within the club as well, which was needed. Mm -hmm. And when you have someone like that, a captain on the field, but a captain off the field who has every kind of single detail and input which is so important to the running of a team off the field, but uh, on the field as well, is is uh, an absolute bonus for, for a club to have. And listen, as Josh just said there, yes, we know that Mike's getting a little bit older and maybe possibly not being worth a DP money deal, but he's so beneficial to Toronto FC that a lot of people don't see it. I see it day to day what he brings to the club and the environment that that he kind of sets the the mm. demands that he sets on other players as well. He's, he's a coach, eventually, right? He'll, he'll coach somewhere. Yeah, I'm not. I'm, I'm not sure whether he really wants to be a head coach. I'm not sure. Um, I speak with Mike like daily, uh, but not at full length. But he's a guy that just p- prepares and he's constantly uh, a constant professional. Sorry. In, in how he prepares and how he trains and how he looks after his body. Like after international games, like most guys take like a day or two to come back and train. I've seen Mike a day after a game for the US away playing either in, in Cuba or say playing in the States for his home national team. And he's back on the training field the next day doing a regen. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this is a guy that is a, a, an ultimate professional. You know? He's also a great interview, and from a very selfish standpoint, you know, it's very hard to get good interviews from athletes. You know, Christ, I try every Monday here, <laughs> fail miserably. Um, but but Bradley, he's very, so thoughtful though. You know, when, when he talks, mm-hmm. uh, and and it's just refreshing compared to <clears throat> other athletes I've had the pleasure of interviewing. Yeah. I'm joking, no, it's, it's, that's absolutely <laughs> true though. And there's always a bit of a risk when you get these players, you know, uh, you bring them over DP money, yeah. like the Defoe. Like, I thought that was going to be a perfect fit. So there's, all, there's there's a risk around that and who you get and whether they fit and they settle into the, the club and what you really, really want. And Michael Bradley's been a slam dunk. Defoe wasn't, but you've seen those uh, mistakes made before. But, at, you know, trying to see in the future and even other clubs when they're looking for DPs, it's a, it's a nervous thing because you're paying a lot of money for – a particular player and you just hope 
they turns out to be. There was some good want. that we got out of Defoe deal as well, and and, and well, out the door out of it. Defoe, exactly, Defoe <laughs> right. came across, and I think as a marketing ploy by the club, it opened up a lot more exposure for us. As, People as still talk about that. They still that talk big about red bus. Yeah, but also as you just mentioned there, the the trade between Josie who was having a, sh- a, a tough time at Sunderland coming over to North America to kind of rebuild his career rebuild his career but have that that hunger to to be part of a new project or NFC and then JJ Defoe going back to Sunderland and scoring very important goals there whether it be in the derbies or being an idol there as well so it worked both ways for both players in the end great great segue actually Defoe um, and Bradley in that Wayne Rooney was once upon a time um, he was more touted than Defoe, but young guys who were going to be superstars coming through the, the systems at somewhat smaller clubs than they ended up at. Um, also, a guy that arrived at DC United in MLS as a guy that was supposed to redefine what that club was. Mm. So Rooney ends his MLS career this weekend in Toronto, comes off in the in the second half before the extra time, and. You look back in his year and a half in MLS, he signed a three-year deal. He's going to Derby County now to, to become a player coach, redefine his career again. But a year and a half, did he accomplish, do you think, what DC wanted? I mean, he, he got their name on the map, I suppose, but he didn't really, outside of a few great performances, you yeah. can hardly say he, he took the MLS by the horns. And Not dominated. like some DPs. I mean, his age and everything, but he had his moments, for sure. I thought uh, overall he did quite well. I don't know about you guys, but when he made the decision to go back to Derby and they announced that decision, what did that do inside the dressing room of DC United? Um, yeah. Does it take the edge off it um, overall? Um, well, they had a poor run-in. And, I mean, I know he was suspended, right. but still, they had a poor run-in. Surely it has to have done something to the Yeah, run-in. Yeah, exactly. And this is the thing. Again, you're talking about DPs and what you're going to bring from it. I think did DC get a lot from Rooney and what they, did, you know, what they paid for? Probably in many ways, mm. but well, they were moving to a new stadium as well, so they needed to put bums on seats. They needed mm-hmm. to kind of make that more worthwhile in the sense that we're leaving a stadium that we've been at for a long, long time. We're trying to generate some more support into this new stadium that we've built, and um, it's great. It's a lovely new stadium. Yeah, some of the new stadiums in the MLS are are uh, brilliant, and most you know, you look at clubs and even I played for and at. In yeah. the UK, could only dream of some of these stadiums. I mean, no, it's really yeah. fantastic. Even LA's is great. Alliance Field last night, where Minnesota played. Uh, um, is it Alliance Stadium or Alliance Field, where Minnesota played LA Galaxy? Like wonderful new stadium. So MLS are doing a cracking job in that sense. But again, going back to Rooney, what I would say, and what we just mentioned about the foe is, is the commitment. So when you're coming across as a DP, we saw Stevie Gerrard with it a little bit with LA, um, Wayne Rooney, the even I Beckham, think even Beckham to a degree. The look, f- for you to come across and be a success, I think you have to show the commitment. What the clubs are invested in you as well, and that means you're not just coming across by yourself. You're coming across with your family, and I'm not talking about settling down like I did at Toronto. See, I made a big commitment in that sense where we were setting roots here. But coming across to say, okay, we are being invested not only in the club but in the community as well. And I'm not saying these guys that did enough to to put their clubs on the map. But I think that resonates with the players that you're kind of 
going out on the field with or you're socialising with mm-hmm. every day as well. And, and it's, it seems uh, Bastian Schweinsteiger did that. It yeah. seems at Chicago. He's retired this this off season as well, right? But he's a guy that really committed to that that community and that team as well. Yeah. Perhaps they didn't get the success in the field that they'd hoped, but there's there's no doubting Schweinsteiger's commitment to, to that whole program. Big time, and and I think when you're an owner, a club owner, you spoke about it, finding the right DP is is so important, Craig. Mm. So, yes, we know that there are big names coming over, but also doing your, your your background check on these players, what they're like in in the locker room, what's their off the field life like. Like, I'm sure there's been a lot of money thrown at uh, Mesut Ozil at the moment at Arsenal. You know, he's going through a tough time there. They're talking about him not training properly, maybe being a little bit of a, a dark horse within in the locker room as well. So if you're a, a club owner, a prospective club owner that's looking for a DP, willing to spend five to six to seven to eight million dollars per year on a certain player to come across and be kind of a standout player but also be a kind of leader within the community or for your club with the media all all the all the different aspects that that come with being a designated player that's a tough tough uh job or tough tough role to find a player that that way as well and they also have different roles for their dps or different expectations yeah. i mean getting a schweinsteiger at his age you know what is he going to offer you on the field he might put bums in the seats I think that was the same with Gerard, even some certain aspect with David Beckham. Um, but Toronto SC, the way they did it, and I thought uh, it was really well done. Maybe overpaying for players, but knowing they're going to fit into this league, mm-hmm. they're going to be able to play well, and they're still in their prime. It wasn't their retirement. Exactly. Journey, right? it was, if you're going to get somebody to come over, I'm not interested in seeing – I mean, love to see some of the old players, but they're not in their prime anymore. Right. They're just a name. Uh, if you want to actually win things as well, you might have to – well, that, dig a little deeper. You're seeing a lot of the, the South American DPs coming over, mm. unknown players essentially, right? But doing a job at various clubs. They're not big names necessarily. So there's that level of DP, which is, I think, look, looking long term. And mm-hmm. then you have um, the, the big name, the Rooney or the Schweinsteiger, right? Who perhaps he's, he's not quite what he was, but at a certain level of stardom, well, the, it's still worth The working. South American mm-hmm. and Mexican players that are coming across as DP, they have so much more to offer, I feel. Maybe not as bigger names, but also think about the climate that we're playing in in the summer. This is a summer league. Mm-hmm. A lot of European players that come across, I, I was like it as well. I remember playing in Houston one one game, and I'm in the warm up. I'm going. I said to the physio, I said, "I'm absolutely fucked." <laughs> <laughs> this was before the games even started. I was drenched, and this was an yeah. evening game in Houston, yeah. Texas. I've never ever. Never experienced something like this. No. Remember Joe Kinnear? We went down there. We were to, recovering training. So they we go to Friday training, and it's 8 in the morning. And it's like, well, it's a little early for training. But anyway, we get there, and they do. They train between 8 and 9 because by literally 9.30, it's unbearable. Yeah. Like, it's unbearable. So and and I said to Joe, are you enjoying it here? And he says, oh, I love the football. But he goes, as far as anything else goes, he goes, living here? He goes, I've been to hell. So, yeah. so do your homework then. Terrible. All these players that come here and are surprised by the, the climate or the travel, like, do your bloody homework. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's not difficult. You've got an entourage <laughs> of people. You've got managers, <laughs> assistants. You know, do Google 
climate in Houston. It's yeah. bloody hot. <laughs> Jesus. And it's different and in no Dallas. It's much better in yeah. Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, humidity in, the humidity in, in Houston is just disgusting. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. incredible, isn't it? But just, I've got no sympathy for these guys that come over and then mm. surprised by what they're encountering. Well, like, that's true. Come on, guys. Wake the hell up. <laughs> Jesus. Um, I want to mention quickly, um, going back to the Premier League here, because a number popped out to me this weekend. It was it was crazy to me. And that was, so Leicester, they beat Burnley 2-1. Leicester's, mm-hmm. my God, they're a good team. They eh? lose Harry Maguire. Who cares? Yeah. Right? They're fantastic. Brilliant. But Jamie Vardy scored his sixth of the season. He's now fourth in, in the goal-scoring charts, right? He's now scored, according to Statman Dave on Twitter, who's, who's brilliant, he scored 86 Premier League goals, right? More than Fernando Torres, Eden Hazard, Cristiano Ronaldo, Carlos Tevez and just wow. one behind Dennis Bergkamp. Wow. Yet we'll never ever consider him in the same class of any of those players. Why? Because his name's not sexy enough. If it is Vardici, that'd be different. Vardinho. <laughs> Vardinho. Well, is that play, what it is though? It's just play, your, your name didn't me. work for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was known as Danny Dick. Danny Dick? Yeah. That's what they called me back, <laughs> back in. Uh, <laughs> the Dick? Hey, Danny Dick. Yeah. You've Danny never did. been a Daniele Di Chio. <laughs> <laughs> but no, what an accomplishment, by the way, by Vardy. And it wasn't really a Vardy-esque goal at the uh, weekend. It header. was a, a cross and a fantastic leaping header. But remember, we've spoken about this uh, when we were used to be TV pundits on, on Sportsnet. Those <laughs> were the days. <laughs> but what a, an accomplishment for a young man that come through the lower leagues. He got released at uh, a young age by Sheffield Wednesday. He had to work his way back up again through the, the lower leagues at Fleetwood. and then got Was he the first million-pound non-league purchase? Yes. I think he was, yes. yeah. And what what a career he's had, you know? I mean, not so much about his wife in, in the papers at the moment, but what a... <laughs> A career he's had, yeah. like a stellar player, uh, a, pl- a different type of player as well. He's not your kind of sexy striker that will hold up the ball and can make movement in beyond and score uh, various goals, although he's got a lovely header, as we spoke about, but really dynamic, gets in behind defences. He's that, he's that pesky, he's that like mm-hmm. midge that you can't get rid of and that pesky striker that is always on the move in the box and can finish very, very well. I'm so. glad he stayed at Leicester. Yeah. Great point. Could have gone to Arsenal, right? They I mean, yeah, but stay at Leicester. I mean, he's an absolute legend there. He always will be. There'll be statues. Like, when you, you know, there's some... He's getting paid well, um, obviously. And uh, and some of that loyalty, I think, down the road, he'll be, he'll be happy that he did that. It's a great point, yeah. I think it mm. could be a lesson for a lot of players. That just because, you know, he, he did play Champions League for that year, right? He got mm-hmm. that opportunity with Leicester. He might again next year. And and he's and he suits Leicester, and he always has suited their system, and they play really well to him. Every manager plays well to him when he does, and I think at Arsenal, I'm not sure it would have worked for him. We no. could have, he could have drifted out of the game as yeah. quickly as he came into it. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, so. what a story! Not only him, but but Leicester as well. This resurgence this year, they were okay last year, but Brendan Rodgers, you know, he, he's he's. I don't know how he's seen as a bit of a laughing stock in some quarters. I never quite understood it. You know, he's got an ego, which is fine. You know, a lot of managers do, but you can't deny what he's done, both in Scotland and now coming to England once again and doing a great job with Leicester. He's a good yeah. manager. He's a very good manager, mm-hmm. and I think when you look at what his record has been within the Premier League and, and Scotland with Celtic as well, but having that kind of record and, and the style of play that, that, that his teams adopt where they're a possession-based team, they like to play with the ball on the floor, but they can be flexible as well in, in trying to hit 
Vardy on the attack as well. But I love watching his team's play. As I said, they they play a style of football that is is very easy on the eye. But I agree with you. He's kind of got a tainted image, and I, I really don't know why. I think it's maybe because of yeah, yeah maybe it killed him a bit where mm. the Liverpool documentary. But um, he seems to get the best out of his players. He's, he seems like he's a player manager as well. And I think this could be an audition again, maybe possibly for another big job coming up for him in the future. If he gets uh, Leicester into Europe this year, mm. I have no doubt that a, a big club will come in for him again. He's definitely ambitious. I mean, leaving the job in Scotland, pretty cosy there, did very well, and taking over a club like Leicester, who have ownership too, that have high expectations. They won the league. You know, just off the back of that a few years, that's hard to live mm-hmm. up to. And he's done a really good job adapting this squad. And, and This weekend was the uh, the anniversary of the helicopter yeah. crash that claimed mm. Leicester's owner. Remember yeah. that last year? Such a surreal yeah. weekend, wasn't it? We're covering it. That's been a year already. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy. Time flies. So an emotional weekend in Leicester. But boy, they, they're getting the job done and they could very much be part of the top four picture by the end of the season that's for sure mm. almost out of time fellas um, got time for the big question though anything that, that, that's jumping out at you as far as looking into the week ahead V-A-R <laughs> it's Yay, driving me V-A-R. crazy what a crazy weekend it was for yeah. V-A-R I thought it right. worked perfectly <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know it's like for me it's, it's taking the emotion out of the game now like Players don't know whether to celebrate. They don't know whether to stick or twist. They have no idea what's going on. The referees don't. I, I haven't seen a referee go to a TV monitor yet. I know. He just checks it's, on his ear and he's relying on someone else to make that decision. Well, Christ, do you see the, mm. the, the Spurs, Spurs game this weekend? Game? Ali scores a goal, right? He goes to VAR after the Foster mistake. And then the screen had Says the wrong no goal. message up there saying no goal. So no one knew what the hell was going on. Even the video technicians have no idea what's going on. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Just, and yeah. I, I'm not talking about it slowing down the game, Craig. I'm just saying there's just so much that the Premier League offers, and I think it's taking a little bit of that excitement away. And even the fans are kind of laughing at it a little bit because they don't know whether to celebrate or not because they don't want to see be seen as celebrating too early, <laughs> where now the other fans are going, <laughs> hold on, this stick. is not going to be given. Yeah. And they're giving him stick for oh, celebrating. Yeah. So it's, it's, just... it's a new world. It's a new world for sure. Well, Klopp um, had a great comment this weekend, and he kind of nailed it. He goes, the problem is that the ref lets it run because we've got VAR, and then VAR doesn't want to overrule the ref. Yeah. That's right? an excellent point, and that's exactly what's happening. We're seeing it that the VAR quite clearly they don't want to get over the back and they don't want to undermine the referee. So unless it's blatantly obvious. So the money penalty against uh, Leicester? I think it was Leicester. Got uh, clipped very softly at the back of the leg. Goes down, right? I think mean, everybody can agree, agree United, that, yeah, he, yeah. that he uh, embellished. Yeah. No, I want. Yeah, but then the United one. Yeah, but the one before. Oh, sorry. Okay. When they given a right. penalty late in that game right. two weeks ago. Yeah. Prob- if the referee doesn't give it, I don't think they give it. But because he gave it, they're not going to take it away because it's not blatant, it's not clear and obvious. And then you see the United game when probably a foul. Let's be fair. And then they go back to look at it, but it's not clear and obvious just like Klopp says so they're going to they're not going to actually fix it that that turn clear and obvious that in itself is subjective right it's not defined I mean offside you can tell okay it's not it's black or white okay some really dodgy calls which would have been given or not given in previous years but I understand it's the rule VR can can, your toes offside doesn't count I get Mm -hmm. that but it's these things you mentioned there the fouls earlier in build up to, to goals or Dives and box. It's so subjective still. I yeah. don't know. Handballs, we saw it this weekend. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't know. It's not going to go away, right? I don't think. No. They're not going to say, you know what, it's failed. Let's stick with it. 
I think we've got to just begrudgingly, begrudgingly accept it, even though we just like it. Don't we, yeah. Teach? Yeah. It's, I like it. Said. Do you? You're a fan yeah. of it overall? Overall. Yeah. Was the game really broken before? Seems to be doing pretty well. Well, no, that's that's the truth. I just think that it, it was – I like the fact that VAR is going to be there to protect, you know, the big decisions. But I think it's – got to figure out what to use it for what not to use it for. Yeah, the, the, the you know, blatant I mean, errors. Yeah, The howlers. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's a work in progress. Yeah. NFL has had it for years. It's yeah. still far from perfect. Mm. Right. Big issue. Good point. You got a big question, Craig? Yeah, how about this weekend, the FA Cup game between Herringy Boro and against uh, Yeovil uh, Herringay. Town? Yeah, Herringay. Yeah. So the game, game was abandoned uh, because of racial abuse against the goalkeeper and the defender, allegedly. Uh, there's been some people uh, uh, arrested at this moment in time. And is it a watershed moment? Should, it, should England have done that in Bulgaria? Should the players be put in a position that if you were racially abused, I know they're talking about walking off the field, Finally, we've seen some teams have actually done it. Now, it's a lower division team. doesn't make it any better. doesn't make it any worse. But they've stood by it. And both teams, we've got to get this right too, both teams were united. They came out together against it. Both clubs have spoken up against it, uh, the racism. And uh, it's about time uh, that somebody's done that. And it might just be the start of something that we see in the future that uh, I would like to see that if people are being racially abused, that this not acceptable. And, and uh, quite quite frankly, I'm freaking tired of talking about this yeah, shit yeah. that well, you, we hear over and over again from Europe. But we've covered it with Europa yeah. League. We've seen it internationally, Danny. But you look at the BBC's website uh, over the weekend or even this morning if you go on it, four of the main head, headlines are about racism in the game, whether it be uh, uh, Herringay Borough. Yeah. Uh, I think there was one at Sam Dura this weekend with Sam Dura and Roma. Yeah, Roma apologised uh, via Roma a tweet. And I'm... I'm Arresting really Bulgaria glad, as well. I'm really glad that this has happened again this weekend and that both teams have decided to walk off. So I have to give a lot of credit to the head coach of yeah. that team, but also to the players from both teams. Mm-hmm. But it, it just disgusts me that this is still going on in this Asian time and that the authorities and the federations are doing jack shit about it. That's the issue, right? UEFA, That's the biggest UEFA issue for just me. have no concern about it, appears. So you now the it. clubs and, and coaches and players are having to take on responsibility and act mm. themselves. Where if this is happening within a club or within a stadium, then it's simple. Whether it's an international team or it's a club team, you pull them out of the competition. Yeah. You, you yeah. make them play behind closed doors for a certain amount of time. I assure you the clubs will do more then to stop this. The trouble is, I mean, it's yeah. it's not even necessarily a football issue, right? It's a society issue, yeah. Right? This goes beyond, sadly, that's that, the that's, minority. That's, that's we platform. know it's the minority, right? But still, I'm, I'm with you, and it will take that teams walking off the field. Now, the issue I think internationally is there's so little trust in UEFA that if a team walks off the field, will they be punished for that? It wouldn't put I wouldn't put it past UEFA to send sanctions down on, for example, England for walking off the field because that contravenes their rules, which is ludicrous. I understand that, but you know, well, it let's take, hope it, that's not the case. Let's I, hope not. But yeah. do you trust UEFA to do the right thing if a team does that? I don't. I don't think they're going to touch. They hand out thousand euro yeah. fines for for racial abuse. 
Yeah, they do. I mean, the, the fines are pathetic, and then if you throw a sponsorship on your shorts or something like that, your, your fine will be more. Yeah, more exactly. Than racially abusing somebody, I think they're worried about you know, and they've talked about it in the past. Uh, the authorities that it is a society problem, it's a cultural problem. Um, that we're not here to fix it. We try to you know promote equality and acceptance and uh, and all of these things, um, but at the end of the day, they don't do enough. To well, do, it, we, do about we, yeah, it, right? We, we talk about um, having more BAME managers within and head coaches within the the leagues. Mm-hmm. Okay, explain what that is. Is for people that BAME, so black, the black and, Asians, and minority, and minority and it, yeah. so they're, they're trying to get more coaches, which I agree with as well within the structures of the teams, whether it be head coaches or on the staff. But why are they not saying this at UEFA level as well? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For yeah. me, there's not there's not enough minorities actually working in UEFA or FIFA as well. So unless that happens, it's going to be the same old story every time, Shams. Yep. It's, it's, yeah. it's unfortunate, as I said, that we're still speaking about this in this present day. Yeah, but it seems, yeah, I mean, let's be honest, culturally it seems to be getting worse right now, given the political climate around yeah, the world. Yeah, really well. so I really do. I mean, it's, like it's, it's on an incline. I don't, I mean, we're not seeing it getting better, we're seeing it getting worse. I think social media pulls out the worst in people too and we, it exposes it even more so and, and sadly... Um, well, in some ways, you could say it in positive ways that it's getting better, but in, in sadly, I'm not seeing a, a, an enough done about it uh, by the authorities to uh, push this uh, subject. Now, I'll give Bulgaria's government credit to a certain point. They, they demanded the firing or the, the ousting of the Bulgarian uh, top guy. He left. Yeah. Um, there's movement there. But, yeah, maybe you've got to start punishing the individuals as well, charging these people in the stands. You know, maybe that's how it happened to... I'm with you. I mean, it's great that Harangay and they walked off the field. It's brilliant. Mm-hmm. It's a start, but you need that big team, that big club to do it with the, the yeah. world's eyes on it. Yeah, I think it's coming it's soon. It's going to happen at some point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, fellas, uh, we're out of time. Uh, I want to mention before we leave those, let's leave in a high, shall we? You know, yeah, uh, we've got a great tweet from Kevin Richard, um, who really enjoys the podcast. We're talking about how will the CSA promote these young stars? You know, from from Christian Sinclair to a to um, Alfonso Davies, right? And uh, Kevin Richard talks about his club, uh, Miramichi United. They've got a new clubhouse. And on the doors of their washrooms to promote Canadian soccer, they've got pictures of Alfonso Davies for the boys and Christian Sinclair for the girls. It looks amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the kids actually. are now yeah. recognizing and talking about the, these, these faces in their clubhouse. Mm-hmm. I've seen that actually out in Oakville Soccer Club too. They, they do that as well with a bunch of the, the Blue Devils? former... Uh, or no, I don't think it was a Blue Devils right. indoor facility oh, there. Okay. Soccer club, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. So they have uh, all women from the area that have played for the national team and That's men great. as well on the doors or on That's the walls. That's a great idea. I love it. I love it. It and, is uh, great. Just, just get these yeah. these these personalities, these mm-hmm. icons out there to the yeah. public. We that, see it in, in in every other sport here, especially hockey, promoting every aspect of it. And here we got a guy like Alfonso Davies playing for one of the biggest clubs in the world. He's yeah. a Canadian kid. Great story. And everybody should know about him for sure. Yeah, they should. All right, boys. We are definitely out of time now. Gone long once again, as we generally do. But there's so much to get to. And half this stuff we didn't even get to once again. We need a longer podcast, Dan. <laughs> longer podcast. Yeah. All right. Thanks to Joshua Cloak of The Athletic. A uh, great chat regarding Toronto FC. It's a Champions League week, everyone. She was in great games. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll revisit those next Monday. So, Craig, Danny, Dan, Eggplant. Cheers for listening. Cheers for watching. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.